to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. This is the last letter that Paul wrote that we have recorded in the New Testament. He was in jail awaiting his execution, and he would be executed a mere months after writing this letter. As I was thinking through Memorial Day weekend, and I'm not, I'm not really one to change uh, a sermon to fit um, a holiday unless it is Christmas or Easter, Christmas or Easter. Um, and I'm not really changing this per se for Memorial Day, but as I thought through Memorial Day and my heart was drawn to this passage and I was thinking through how appropriate this passage is for Memorial Day weekend, I think you will see that. I think you will see Paul's encouragement to Timothy and to us as well. That the calling that he has called us to, that God has called us to, is a calling that is unlike any other. And it is one that demands total allegiance, full allegiance to him. As we've been going through the book of Philippians, and as I said, we're going to move the sermon that's in your bulletin, the Philippians chapter 4 sermon. We're going to move that till next Sunday. But as we've been going through it, we've seen God's grace on display, the gospel on display, Jesus' righteousness on display. We've seen that it is only by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone, that we are able to be saved. And Paul presents that very clearly in chapter 1 and chapter 2. But then he moves to say, once you are saved, you have to work. Justifying grace and justifying faith is alone, but it does not stay alone, as we've been talking about. We don't add to our salvation. We cannot add to the grace that God has given to us. But the last couple of sermons have been dealing with the issue of working hard as believers, as soldiers, as members of the body of Christ, followers of Jesus. Our lives should change. The reality is I think we buy into the lies of this world. What does it mean to be successful? What does it mean to be a leader? What does it mean to be a successful man or woman in this world. Can I just tell you pretty much everything that this world tells you is success is not? Pretty much everything this world tells you is success is not. And it's not just the world. The church does this too. The church can lead you away from Christ. Any church that preaches a message that is a comfortable version of Christianity Uh, kind of a name it and claim it, and God will work for you, and you never have to do anything, that's not right. And the church can lead you astray. And so given this weekend, given some of the quotes that are in this message that I want to share with you, given the passage before us, I would title this message, A Wartime Mentality. A Wartime Mentality. And I want to start by reading a quote from John Piper. Until you believe that life is war, that the stakes are your soul, you will probably just play at Christianity with no blood earnestness, no vigilance, no passion, no wartime mindset, no wartime mentality. If that is where you are this morning, your position is very precarious. The enemy has lulled you into sleep or into a peacetime mentality as if nothing serious is at stake. And God, in his mercy, has you here this morning and had this sermon appointed to wake you up and put you on a wartime footing. 
How can we live as followers of Jesus Christ with a wartime mindset, a wartime mentality? Well, I believe that Paul will outline that for us with five critical instructions that we will see in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We won't even get through all of those verses, but I want to read them before we dive into them. And then we will look at five critical instructions given to Timothy and ultimately given to us to live lives with a wartime mentality, with a wartime mindset as believers in Jesus Christ. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. And for this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it, eternal glory. Paul begins in verse 1 with the first instruction to his son in the faith. If you want to live with a wartime mentality, with a wartime mindset, instruction number one is that you have to be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. You have to be strong in the grace of Christ. Now, here's where we're calling our audible this morning, since we are the remnant and we will have a fun family time this morning. What would the opposite be of being strong in the grace of Jesus Christ? What's the opposite? Okay, being weak in the grace of Jesus Christ or being strong in what? Anything else, anything other than the grace of Jesus Christ. The opposite of being strong in the grace of Jesus is twofold. It's either being weak in the grace of Jesus Christ, and ultimately, if you're weak in the grace of Jesus Christ, you are going to try and find your strength in something else. The opposite of being strong in the grace of Christ is being strong in your flesh, in your own power, in your own abilities. Paul says this another way in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. You don't have to turn there. We'll just, um, I'll just quote it for you, and you know it. He says, when I am weak, then he is made what? Strong. If we say we're strong, there's no way we can be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. If we say we are weak and then we run to Jesus Christ, that's the only chance we have to be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. Paul starts by saying that you, therefore, my son, not his literal physical descendant, but his spiritual descendant in the faith. Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You have the potential, as do we all to find your strength in yourself. How much more so in this culture of self-esteem movement that you can do anything you set your mind to, believe in yourself, and you can accomplish anything. That's completely antithetical to the Beatitudes, to the Sermon on the Mount, to be poor in spirit, because blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you say, I've got gifts, I'm good, 
I'm not as bad as some people, so God needs to give me 50% of the grace that he gives to most people. No. If you do not come with open hands, with a weak spirit saying, I have nothing to offer you, God, then you cannot be strong in the grace of Jesus. It's very interesting because the way this verse literally should be translated is you, therefore, my son, be being strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's in a passive voice. So it's something that is done to you. So he's saying, Timothy, you need to do this. And it's done to you. Timothy, you need to be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ, but you need to be strengthened by Jesus Christ. It's not you do something alone. You need to be strengthened. And it's a present tense. You need to be being strengthened continually, present, progressive, continually be strengthened by God in the grace of Jesus Christ. So, not only do we have to ask, what's the opposite of being strong in the grace of Jesus Christ? But now we have to ask, okay, how do we do this? How can we put ourselves in a position, you you see with the passive voice that it's not you do something to make this happen on your own. It's something happens to you. God will strengthen you and make you strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. But it's a command. This is the most infuriating thing. It's a command. It would be like saying, Patrick, be kissed by your wife, Hannah. Okay, that's a command to her. How do I, how do, I do that? How do I, if it's her that she has to do that, it's not kiss your wife, it's be kissed by your wife. How do I do that? It's up to her, but it's a command to me. So the question is to all of us, again, how can we put ourselves in a position to be strengthened in the grace of Jesus Christ? How? What are the means that Jesus has given to us? The Word. The Word. So you dive into the Word and He will strengthen you. Why is it set up this way? Why isn't it when I dive into the Word, I strengthen myself? Why is it when I dive into here, I do the work, but somebody else gets the credit? So that God gets all the glory. If we have any ability in and of ourselves to do something, then we get the glory for it. And that's why Paul says, no, you be strengthened in the grace which is in Jesus Christ. You put yourself in the the way of truth. You put yourself in the place of truth. You put yourself in such a way that God will strengthen you. If we could put a heading over it, it would be the means of grace. Spiritual disciplines. Utilize the spiritual disciplines that have been given to you. Reading God's word. Memorizing God's word. Meditating on God's word. Being in constant fellowship. Praying evangelizing, singing, discipling others and being discipled yourself. These are the means of grace that God has given to us. And I think that we can faithfully say, biblically say it this way, if you are not actively, presently, intentionally involved in the means of grace, utilizing the spiritual disciplines that Jesus has given to us, then you are not being strengthened in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And you are relying on your own strength, right? Can we say that? I think we can say that. A third question. What are the obstacles to being strengthened in the grace of Jesus Christ? It's a command to us. We must be strengthened. We must be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. What obstacles lie in our way? What are they? What are some obstacles? The world. 
pulling our heart a, a certain way. And I think that's one of the things that Paul has in mind. And so he's going to say, don't entangle yourself in the affairs of the world. What else? Our flesh. And specifically, I think two aspects. Our pride. Well, I'm, I'm okay. I don't really need to be strengthened by Jesus. He can save me and then I'm okay and I can do it myself. Or our laziness. Just to say, you know what, I, I don't need to work on anything. Kind of lazy boy Christianity. This is why I say something apparently more times than I thought I did, because uh, somebody said the other day, you say this phrase a lot. That's okay. Um, renounce self-reliance. Um, one of the reasons why I guess I say it a lot is because it's something I'm preaching to my own heart a lot. Do not rely on yourself. Do not claim, I can do this. God, I need your help to save me from hell, but I'm okay in evangelism. I can save people. I'm okay in praying. I don't need your help. I'm okay in whatever it is, fill in the blank. No, renounce self-reliance in all of that. Never say, I can do it on my own. One pastor says it this way, Paul is telling Timothy not to summon up the strength which is natively within him and do the best he can. Instead, he is to be utterly dependent, utterly reliant upon the grace which is in Christ Jesus. And in this exhortation, we see a summation of a massive biblical truth that all of the Christian life is a matter of, and I love the way he says this, dependent responsibility. All of the Christian life is a matter of dependent responsibility. We tend to focus on one or the other of those two words. We tend to either look at responsibility and forget dependence. That would be the person that says, God saved me, I do the rest. I will work my hardest, I will earn God's favor. I will do everything I have to do. The rest is up to me. He saves me, and now the rest is up to me. The flip side of that would be no responsibility. Only dependence and no responsibility. This is the lazy boy Christianity. Well, God's done it all. I just get to sit back, relax, let go and let God, because it's all about grace anyway. Both are wrong. You need to put them together and have dependent responsibility. Again, uh, Legan Duncan says it this way, this pastor that I was quoting earlier. There is a nexus in every aspect of the Christian life. There's a connection. There's a, um, a, a connecting point. Two things merging together in which we are called to be responsible and at the same time reliance upon the grace of God. Why? Because God is sovereign and we are responsible. That's the way God has created this world. He is the sovereign ruler of this world. He is the sovereign ruler of his church. He supplies the church what she needs. But at the same time, he expects us to engage ourselves to the fullest of our energies for his purposes. This is why I love the line in the song that we sang, Rise up, O men of God. And by the way, that's not just males. Rise up, O males of God. That's rise up, O brethren of God, men and women. Rise up, everyone who knows the Lord. But it says, uh, The church for you doth wait. Her strength unequal to her task. She does not have the strength needed to do what God has commanded her to do. And what's, what's the exhortation in the next line? Rise up and make her great. We could, we could take that to heresy if we wanted to, right? So since she doesn't have the strength, you make it happen. No, no, hold them together. Dependent responsibility. You and I do not have what it takes to carry out the mission that God has given to us. We don't. In and of ourselves, we are helpless to carry out the mission God has given to us. Her strength is unequal to her task. But 
rise up and make her great. God has called us, and we need to rise up and be responsible. Dependent responsibility. He goes on to say this. So, what God requires, he supplies. The prayer of Augustine captures it beautifully. Lord, command what you will, but give what you command. Lord, tell me to do anything you want me to do, but then enable me by your grace and by your supply to do the things that you've called me to do. And so the old Puritan motto in prayer was pray and work, dependent responsibility. Paul begins by saying, if you are to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ and live with a wartime mentality as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Number two, We could say it this way. You must pass on the truth to reliable men and women. Verse 2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul says the mission is not done when you receive the truth. And we talked about this last week with Paul discussing all of the many people that were examples. Follow their example in the church in Philippi. Remember the pattern that they have, that word in the Greek, uh, the imprint left by a blow. As I have punched your souls with God's truth, and there's a bruise of truth on your soul, and you can see it, live that out with others, and follow those who have that imprint, that pattern of godly living. Paul says here pretty much the same thing. Pass on the truth you have been given. What does this mean for everyone? This isn't just to Timothy, and it isn't just to pastors. It's to everyone, and we see this all over the Scriptures. We don't have time to go there, but what does this mean for everyone? Simply in one word, it means discipleship. Be faithful to pass on to others what you learn at church, at Bible studies, in life. Notice what has to be done for this command to be able to take place. What has to be done? Uh, What are some of the things? There are a couple answers. What has to be done for these commands, or this command specifically in verse 2, to be able to take place? What has to be done? Okay, you have to see reliable men. You have to be intentional to find out, is Micah a reliable man? Is John a reliable man? Or women in Titus 2, discipling women, is Michelle a reliable woman? Are these people, people that we would be fine to give the truth to and we know that they will take it look at the qualifications that paul gives paul says that these men that you're going to pour into or these people you're going to pour into they must be faithful and they must be able to teach others also they must be able to pass it on if you pass on error you failed and if you do not pass on the truth that you've received you have failed the key in all of it is to keep passing it on What else is necessary for this command to be able to take place? What do you have to do before you can live this command out? You have to hear the truth, know the truth, internalize the truth, and be able to teach the truth. It's one thing to know the truth. It's another thing to be able to teach the truth. And so Paul says, be involved in discipleship. If you are going to be in a wartime mentality... You're not going to say, look, I know how to run the artillery fire. I know how to do it. You all don't. Don't worry. I'll take care of it. That would be one of the most foolish things to do, because if I am taken out, then nobody can man the artillery. Nobody can take it. So I'm saying, hey, I'm going to teach you, and you teach me what you do, and let's all learn together so that anybody can do any job if necessary. 
A wartime mentality as believers is to say, I need to be able to step into any role God would have me, any biblical role that God would have me. Pass this on. We have to be involved in truth hearing, truth saturation, truth learning, and truth giving. I always used to say that to youth group and college group. One of my philosophies of life is just put yourself in the way of truth. Put yourself in the way of truth. Like being a, on the train tracks and the train of truth is coming at you. Just keep jumping in front of it. Let it run you over. Whether it's through reading books, as I mentioned last week, whether it's through reading Christian biographies, whether it's through memorizing scripture, whether it's through fellowship with other believers, whether it's listening to sermons or listening to music that would preach God's word. Put yourself in the way of truth and then find someone. Intentionally look for someone. Pray even now. God, who is it that I can start passing this on to? Who is a faithful man or woman that I can pass this truth on to? Don't drop the baton. Don't quit the race. Or else the efforts of your teachers will have been in vain. Here's the baton and you say, I'll run with it for a little bit and then don't need it anymore. No, you think of what a selfish mindset this is. You learning it is not the end goal. You learning it and giving it to others. And then having them give it to others is the end goal. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Are you faithful to put yourself in the way of truth in such a way that you will be strengthened in the grace that is in Jesus Christ? Secondly, pass on the truth that you have gained. Are you faithful to teach others? Are you faithful to encourage others with the truth of God's word? Number three. If we are to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, we must endure hardships. We must endure hardships. Not only be strong, not only pass on, but endure hardships. This is found in verse 3. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Suffer hardship with me. Paul's reminding Timothy that the Christian life and the Christian ministry and fellowship with Jesus Christ expects hardship and embraces it. Expects it and embraces it. This is so important for us. Uh, we have it we have it so hard in America because we have it so easy. One pastor says it this way, we, leave, we live in an affluent society that cherishes its ease and comfort. And when hardship comes along, typically we are surprised by it. We say, oh, something must be wrong. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be easy. The church is supposed to grow easy. The church is supposed to work easy. The Christian life is supposed to be easy. I'm supposed to become more godly easy. And this hardship, I don't really understand it. I don't know why this is happening to me. Paul says, suffer with me. Suffer with me. He's not saying, you suffer while I just chill on the sidelines and don't do any work. How did Paul suffer? Well, he says in verse 9 that he suffers hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. And we know that months after he writes this letter, he is going to be killed for the gospel. At the end of this letter in chapter 4, we find out that this man named Alexander, who is a metal worker, has deserted Paul and has afflicted him, has hurt him and offended him. One of my favorite stories of Paul's hardships, and they're all over the New Testament, but one of my favorite stories is Acts chapter 14. Paul was stoned to death in Lystra. 
They picked up stones. They stoned him. Some people believe, some commentators believe they actually stoned him to death. He died, and then Jesus revived him from the dead. I actually think they stoned him to the place where they thought he was dead, and they left him for dead. And then, whether he was unconscious, whatever it might have been, he got up, nursed his wounds, and then he went back to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, and he preached the gospel, the same gospel that got him stoned the very first time. That's big-time suffering. That's suffering we really don't know anything about. So Paul just says to Timothy, jump in with me. Suffer with me. I'm suffering. I'm not asking you to do something I myself won't do. Suffer with me. And then he brings in the analogy, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Suffer with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers suffer. To be a soldier means to suffer. They don't quit. They don't give up. They persevere. There are always easier ways of doing things, but soldiers don't take the easier way. They do what's necessary. They don't quit. Brothers and sisters, there is a time and a place when we can quit. It's when Jesus calls you home. Then you're done. Then you're done. When he calls you home, you can rest. You can give up because you're done. But Paul says, be a good soldier of Christ Jesus with me. And then he gives a little bit of flesh to his analogy in verse 4. No good soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. This isn't possible. They don't do this. I remember when I was in Israel for four months, um, there are Israeli military everywhere. And it's a good thing. You'd, you'd You want them to protect you. You want them to be around you. You want them to be watching out for you. And I remember my professor said to me, uh, commenting on this verse, he said, Patrick, would you like it if you came to one of the checkpoints where these guards sit, where these soldiers sit, and make sure that you are safe and peace is still kept and liberties are still kept? Would you like it if, as you're driving by this guard station where the soldiers are stationed, if you saw all their guns just leaning up against the guard station and all of them inside with a big plasma screen TV playing Xbox, do you want to hear the soldier as you're walking by say, I have the highest score in whatever Xbox game you want to put in, fill in the blank. I have the highest score in Call of Duty. I have the highest score. You don't want them putting their time and effort and energy into that, right? You want to hear, I have trained, I'm ready, and I'm always watching and on the alert. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. Why? Because he wants to please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. He wants to please the one who enlisted him. You and I, if we are believers, have been bought with a price. We are not our own. If we have been bought, then we must please the one who has enlisted us. I was able to have the privilege this year of teaching Bible uh, heritage. And the students, I didn't enlist them, but they were stuck there in my class. And I'm teaching them. And as they're stuck there in my class, a few of them, their goal was to please me. The majority couldn't really care less. But a few of them wanted to please me and get a good grade and learn the material. Why? 
because they know there's a reward when they get the good grade. They're, they know that there's something good to be learned. And, and what does that do for me as a teacher? Do I feel the same with the students who are trying to please the teacher as I do with the students who couldn't care less? No, I feel honored. I feel respected by the students that care. So too, we have been enlisted and as we fight the good fight, as we do what Jesus has called us to do, we honor him. We glorify him. Who has enlisted us? Jesus Christ has enlisted us. He bought us just as in the New Testament times in Rome, you were taken away from your civilian life. You were enlisted into the army. You were, you were purchased. You were bought. You were property of the Roman army. When war was over, you could go back home. It's the same thing for us. We've been enlisted. Whatever our civilian affairs were, we no longer care about them and we please the one who enlisted us. So the question is, what's distracting you? What's distracting you? What are you entangled with? What affair of everyday life is distracting the mission that Jesus has given for you to live out? I can say it this way, and I think this is helpful. What are you doing now in life that you are not doing for Jesus? What are you doing now in your life that you are not doing for Jesus? Maybe a good thing. Maybe totally an amoral thing, but it becomes a moral thing when you're not doing it for Jesus and you're just doing it for yourself. We need to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He has enlisted us, and we need to please our general, our commanding officer. Number four, not only do we need to be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ, not only do we need to pass things on in discipleship, not only do we need to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, but number four, in verse five, we need to compete according to the rules. Verse 5 says, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Athletes in the ancient Greek games were required to come before the judges before the contest even started, swear to Zeus, swear that they had been in training for the last 10 months. You couldn't even enlist in the competition and start running or start competing if you hadn't trained for 10 months. They didn't want to waste their time on you. They didn't want to waste their money on you. I think this is what Paul probably means when he says you can't win the prize unless you compete according to the rules. There's rules. And unless you can come and acknowledge that you've been in hard training for 10 months, for a long time, you can't compete. Think of all of the athletes that their careers have been devastated. You think of Lance Armstrong. You think of Mark McGuire. You think of whatever athlete you want to think of that has been found out to be on performance-enhancing drugs or steroids or all sorts of different things that are illegal. What happens when they're found out? They are stripped of every prize that they ever won. Here's the question. What are the rules for the Christian life? What are the rules for the Christian race? I think we could sum it up in one word. The rules for the Christian race. It's holiness. It's holiness. You can do a lot for Jesus. You can lead people to the Lord. 
You can preach, you can teach, you can lead a Bible study, but if you are not holy, Paul would say you are a failure and you are going to be disqualified. Turn over to verse 21 of chapter 2. Paul says, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, uh, these things that are dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So if you are cleansing yourself as Jesus is cleansing you, then you will be useful to the master. So the opposite of this is true. If you aren't actively fighting the fight of sanctification, if you aren't actively fighting for holiness, it doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we're perfectly holy. But if you aren't fighting, and we've seen this time and time again in Philippians, if you aren't fighting, pressing on, growing, if you're on that downward escalator and you're just remaining neutral, you're going backwards. So Paul says you must cleanse yourself. And so what are the dishonorable things that we cleanse ourselves from? What are the thi- How do we combat that? How do we cleanse ourselves? It's in verse 22. Flee from youthful lusts. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So you pursue and you get others who pursue alongside of you in fellowship and accountability and discipleship. Paul says you need to compete to win the prize, and if you don't compete according to the rules, you will not get the prize. This is very challenging for us in our culture to to understand. When I was in Little League, everybody went. You're the last place team. You've never won a game, and you get a trophy. Number one. Awesome job. Um, I don't know if that's ingraining good, good ethics into our kids. You're a winner at everything you do, but we totally lost. It's okay. You don't have to try hard. You don't have to work. If everyone gets a trophy, then this verse doesn't make sense. This verse, Paul says, there are people that get the trophy and there are people who don't. There are people who get the trophy and there are people who don't. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, we will get a reward. Faith is uh, believing that God exists. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it's believing that God exists and that he is the rewarder of all who come to him in faith. He rewards us. So don't forget that. Paul says it in a different way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Uh, We don't have time to look there, but you know that. I buffet my body. I make it my slave so that in the end I won't be disqualified. Everyone who competes, competes according to the rules. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. We do it to receive an imperishable crown. Piper says it this way. If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Do you want to enter into life? Do you want to live? Do you want to win the prize? Then get violent. Get a wartime mindset. Stop making peace with ears and eyes and tongues and hands and feet that betray you like Judas. And go over to the side of the enemy and become instruments of sin and make war on your soul. Put to death the deeds of your body and you will live. Obviously, we do that by being strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. These all start going together. If we are to be faithful followers of Jesus and have a wartime mentality, we first must be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. We must pass on the truth that we have been given to others who will pass it on as well. We must endure hardships as a good soldier. We must compete according to the rules. And fifthly and finally, we must be a hard-working Christian. This is in verse 6. We must be a hard-working Christian. 
Paul says the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. That word hardworking in the Greek, kapiao, um, toiling to the point of exhaustion, laboring, striving to the point where you are physically exhausted and you can't even hold your head up. Be a hard worker. Don't be lazy. There's a reward at the end. Any farmer who is going to make a profit in what he does has to get up early, has to till the soil, has to remove the rocks from the soil, has to spread the seed on the ground, has to water, has to make sure that the bugs aren't getting there and the birds aren't eating. It has to do all of the work. And then the crops will grow and then they can reap the harvest. I envision Paul thinking of a farmer who sleeps until 11 looks outside his window and goes, huh, there's no crops out there. Oh, well, God, please, may there be crops tomorrow. Goes back to sleep, reads some books, hangs out with family, wakes up the next day, maybe at nine this time, still sleeping in, looks out, man, no crops again. What's happening? Oh, well, Lord, please help. Goes back to sleep. Be a hardworking farmer. Be a hardworking Christian All of these analogies, all of these images are images that Paul gives us to remind us of the sacrifice and the hard work that is part and parcel of the Christian life. In essence, Paul is saying, work hard, Timothy, and don't ever expect it to be easy. Don't ever expect it to be easy. How do we apply all these things? Paul gives us the answer. How do we apply these? Verse 7, consider Reflect, consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Reflect on the truth of what's being said. Maybe some people kick against it and say, man, I thought it was grace. That sounds like a lot of hard work. Grace promotes that hard work. Grace is not antithetical. Remember, we talked about this last week. It's not antithetical to effort. It's antithetical to earning. We don't earn anything from God. But we do have effort. John MacArthur says it this way. There are certain things a spiritual Christian has to endure, such as suffering for the faith. There are certain things he has to avoid, such as becoming entangled with the affairs of the world. There are certain mandates he has to obey, namely the commands of his Lord. There are certain things he has to do, including tasks that seem mundane and ordinary. And just as surely, there are things he will be given to enjoy, namely the victory and the rewards of a dedicated, selfless and disciplined life. Through his apostle, the Lord assures us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. The apostle was saying to Timothy here and still says to believers today, under the Lord, think over and carefully ponder what I have been saying. Look at your own life and ask yourself if you are a strong Christian, a spiritual Christian, a mature Christian. Are you devoting yourself to guarding and teaching God's word? Do you deny yourself and count your life as nothing in order to faithfully serve the Lord? Do you keep a distance between yourself and the affairs of the world? Do you continually prepare yourself to serve your master? Do you understand self-denial and self-sacrifice? Are you willing to pay the price that he demands? If you can answer yes to those questions... We are promised the Lord will give you understanding in everything. He will be your wisdom and give you insight through the challenges to victory. Paul says, remember, 
or consider, verse 7, consider what I'm saying and the Lord will give you understanding. How do we apply these things? We have to meditate on them. We have to think about them, mull them over and look at the scriptures to see if they're not so. And then verse 8, how do we apply these things? Remember Jesus. Not only consider what has been preached, but remember the one who has enlisted you. Consider Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. He went through a trial, right? He went through the greatest suffering in human history, and he came out victorious. He's alive. He's a descendant of David, which was promised that the Savior would come through the line, the Messiah would come through the line of David. All of his promises, all of God's promises to us are true. He has risen from the dead according to the gospel that he has preached, that has been preached through Paul, even to us today. Paul suffers hardship even to imprisonment, verse 9, as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. The word of God is still clearly being preached and spoken, no matter who's imprisoned for the gospel. And for this reason, he endures all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. And with it, here's the prize, eternal glory. Rest for the weary. Consider what I say and remember Jesus Christ. I love, some of us were talking um, on the patio during our fellowship time, we were talking about Stephen Ambrose's book, uh, Band of Brothers, that turned into a, a miniseries. Um, that book is an amazing book and the title comes from a Shakespeare play. And it's all about World War II. It's all about the men of Easy Company and the um, 506 Paratroopers, 101st Airborne Division, landing in um, Normandy and going all the way to Hitler's Eagle's Nest. And they titled it Band of Brothers because of the amazing bond that takes place in war as you are bleeding with those in the foxhole with you. In Shakespeare's play, and I want to read you a, a certain section of it where this quote comes from, it's a description of King Henry V of England speaking to his troops who were completely outnumbered by French troops in a certain battle. They were sure to be slaughtered, and he was trying to get them to be rallied, to look at it a different way, and to press on and to fight. And he says this, This day is called the Feast of Crispin. He that outlives this day and comes safely home will stand tiptoe when this day is named and rouse him at the name of Crispin. He that shall live this day and see old age will yearly on the vigil feast of his neighbors say, Tomorrow is St. Crispin's day. Then he will strip his sleeve and show his scars and say, These wounds I had on Crispin's day. Old men forget, yet all shall be forgot. But he'll remember with advantages what feats he did this day. This story shall the good man teach his son. And Crispin, Crispin shall never go by from this day to the ending of the world. But we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. And gentlemen in New England, now in their beds asleep, shall think themselves accursed that they were not here and hold their manhood cheap while any speaks that fought with us on St. Crispin's Day. You obviously see what he's trying to do. 
We're going to glory in the fact that we're here to fight. We're going to glory in the fact that we can win. And if we win, we will be the envy of everyone. They weren't here, but we were. He changes their entire mindset about how to look at this battle. I think Paul is doing the same thing. Timothy, it's a battle. But there is a prize to be had. There's a glory to be won. And guess what? Those who fight in the battle with you, they are your brothers and sisters in a bond that no one will ever fully understand. No one will ever fully understand. Embrace hardship. Don't expect it to be easy. One pastor says it this way, perhaps the Lord teaches us to trust in the most difficult of ways, setting his finger upon the one we love the most and removing that one from us. Perhaps the Lord teaches us to serve the Lord Jesus Christ as, at great personal cost and expense. We should quickly embrace these hardships of the Christian life. And Paul is saying to Timothy, don't expect it to be easy. Suffer hardship with me, for there is much glory to be had. Steve Lawson says, true faith is the commitment of all I am, believing mind, persuaded emotions, obedient will, to all that Jesus Christ is, Lord and Savior. Let's please the one who has enlisted us. And can I just say, in the spirit of Memorial Day, thinking through um, the band of brothers that we have spiritually, brothers and sisters in the faith, you read any war book, you, you read any book, whether it's Band of Brothers, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, whatever it might be, any, any book on war, any book detailing people that have fought in battles, and they will always, without fail, they will always say, when asked, were you a hero of the war? Were you a hero? They will always say no. The true heroes are the ones still buried in the foreign soil. And I think that it would be good and right for us to remember the true heroes, even of the, the Christian faith. Brothers and sisters that are slaughtered daily because they place their trust in Jesus, their confidence and their hope in Him, and the world hates them. We have it easy. We need to be praying for those real heroes, true heroes, that they would persevere to the end and not give up. Paul says, consider what I have to say and remember Jesus Christ. I want to do just that through song as we end our time this morning. Father, I pray that as we sing, we would consider and remember Jesus Christ. We would remember that he is risen from the dead, that he is our hope. He is our righteousness. He is our salvation. He is our Redeemer. He is our Messiah. He is the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world and He is now alive, standing at the right hand of the Father, pleading on our behalf. And as we remember Him and consider Him, we just simply want to say thank you. He is the reason we have to fight. He is the reason we can fight. And He is the reason that our fighting is assured to be victorious. He's the reason we have to never give up. He's the reason we have to never lose hope or lose heart. He's the reason we have to run. May we remember Jesus Christ together, even now as we sing. We pray in your name.